Thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for allowing us to be in your presence. Now, Lord, we are here to hear a word from you. Give us ears to hear. Give us a mind to understand. Give us eyes to see the working of your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Sister Taft, thank you so much for that wonderful song today. And I have, in this short period of time that I've been here, I have uh, learned a little something about the Taft family. And um, Sister Taft, She's a very interesting lady, but a wonderful lady. And Elder Taft is, he's an interesting elder. Amen. I told him the other day that um, they were meant for each other. <laughs> and he said, thank you, Pastor. Thank you. One of the things about Elder Taft is, now, you all probably know it, but I'm just discovering it. Elder Taft will give you a left-handed joke. Y'all know what a left-handed joke is? You don't know it's coming. He'll come a different way. And before you know it, he'd have gave a joke. He's laughing about it. You trying to just figure out, what is he talking about? And then later on, you'll get it. And Sister Taft. I didn't know you could sing. She kept that secret. But Sister Taft, she will, she, she, she's sneaky, y'all know that, right? I caught her downstairs in the fellowship hall. She was acting like she was hugging somebody, but she was really choking them. <laughs> but she was playing. She was playing. But I, I just, I've already been enjoying um, all of you and, and just learning uh, each one of you and so forth. And uh, you all have some special people here um, at the Capital City Church. And my wife and I, we're just looking forward to getting to know you uh, even better. But I don't know about after this sermon whether you all going to like me or not. <laughs> y'all pray for the preacher, okay? and I'll pray for you too. <coughs> defragging. Defragging. Or defragmenting. You've probably heard the term before. It is a maintenance process that Anybody that has a computer periodically ought to do what is called defragging. You defrag your hard drive. The reason why we have to do that is because every time you save a document or file, 
on your computer hard drive, the computer naturally does something to your file that humanly um, really does not make sense, but yet the manufacturer has, for some reason, I'm not quite sure, but when your computer saves a file, it will take that file, and most cases, it will fragment it. We'll take a piece here and put it over there on your hard drive. Then it'll slice another piece of your document and put it somewhere else where it can store it on your hard drive. And so after a period of time, as you're using your computer, uh, college students, and you save hundreds of files on your hard drive, your computer has taken all of those hundreds, yes, even maybe thousands of files, and placed them all over the place on your hard drive, bits and pieces. So after a time, if you do not defrag your hard drive, what will happen, it, it will drag down, it will slow down the performance of your computer. And so it is recommended for you and I that every so often, periodically, we should defrag our computer. And when we defrag it, what happens is it takes all of the files that we have stored and saved on our hard drive and it... And, and it takes all of those bits and pieces of the files and brings them together, those that were divided, it unifies them. For what purpose? So that your computer will function in optimum level. Well, God has created you and I magnificent, awesome specimens, beings he has created us. And he has given us the most sophisticated and developed hard drive that mankind has ever seen. And that is the human mind. And our minds, when God created our minds, he created it to store uh, information in such a way that it is amazing that when God created mankind he he I want to say it the right way God stored into the human mind righteousness and holiness. Adam and Eve came with this bent, this desire for holiness and righteousness. And mankind offered off the creation of God function at optimum level. But something took place and we read about it in Genesis chapter 3. 
Sin entered the world. And sin caused a number on humanity. Where now that which was all pre-stored into the minds of humanity was now other data introduced to mankind which is called sin and rebellion and disobedience. And which has caused us to behave and act in ways that are often fragmented, disunified, all going to be talking about something today. But thank God for Jesus. Because what God has done, God in, in the Garden of Eden and in chapter 3, the Bible says that God gave a pronouncement that he would do something wonderful for, for humanity. That he would begin when Jesus said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed. That was a pronunciation that God was going to begin a process of defragmenting humanity. Amen, somebody. And defragmenting our mindset and our behavior. Oh, y'all didn't get it yet. Y'all didn't get it, though. And so, and so this morning, I want to talk to you about unity. Unity. A plea for unity. Now the word oneness and unity are the same in the biblical text that we're going to be reading. Unity. Oneness. This is a very hot, hot topic, I'm going to tell you. It's a hot topic in the religious world. And it's a hot topic in the secular world. And as we move closer to the end of time, it will be even more of an issue, this thing that we call unity. In fact, we can see all around us, all around this globe, and on television, and on the radio, and in the newspaper, that this issue or subject called unity is becoming paramount. The ecumenical movement is a global initiative that has been launched by powerful institutions today to unite all religions in one. Whether you believe in God or not, the ecumenical movement is designed is with powerful entities and, and organizations to unite all the religions. Talking about unity this morning. And at the forefront of this is the Roman Catholic Church with the Pope at his head. Unity. They are pushing it like you would not believe. And to, and to my surprise, 
Muslims and atheists and all kinds of people are falling in line. Unity. A new world order is on the horizon if you have not figured it out yet. God has already told us this would be taking place as we move closer to the end of time. A new world, one world religion and a one world government is on the horizon, ladies and gentlemen. Our world and our country as we know it today is changing at rapid speed. On March 29, 1994, a document was signed by evangelicals and Christians. The document was entitled, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. This document was a documented document uniting both Protestants and Catholics, relegating the doctrinal differences and coming together for mission, for the good of humanity. Talking about unity now. In 2014, Tony Palmer and Kenneth Copeland had an evangelical conference, and some of you know about it. And the Pope had a video, he had a presentation that he wanted to present to all the Protestants and Evangelical Christians. And in the video, it was a plea for unity. That we all become one. Tony Palmer stood in front of this vast congregation of, relig of religious leaders. And he proclaimed that the Protestant or the protest is over, ladies and gentlemen. Now, some of you may not think that that's nothing, but that is very, very significant. The Protestant Reformation is over. That's what the proclaim was, that the... 95 Thesis that was tacked on the Church of Wittenberg in 1517, that is over, ladies and gentlemen, that's what they proclaimed. Unity. This year is 2017. 2017 is the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And religious entities and the Pope this year are celebrating the anniversary, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. But they're not celebrating its existence. They're celebrating its death. That is over. That we have become one. 
We are united now in one cause, one mission, and that is to help and alleviate the pains and ills of humanity. Now let me tell you, say something to you. We're living in a time that is, that is different from any other time in which we have ever lived in. And I am confident as we look at the as we look at the landscape of Bible prophecy in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, it is very clear to me that we are living in the last days and Jesus is about to come. And the very thing that the Bible has said that's going to happen is happening in our very eyes and it's going to move us to the coming of the Lord. And our dear president, Donald Trump, he is going to move us further into the coming of Jesus. Now, I hope you didn't miss it. I hope you did not miss what took place that the U.S. Embassy was moved to Jerusalem. Now, we all not sleep on this stuff, folks. That's very, very serious. The reason, I can't go into all of it, the reason why it is serious business is because you're shifting the, uh, the center of power from Arabs to Christians. And the, the belief of every single Christian organization today, except the Seventh-day Adventists, they believe that the Jews are going to retake Jerusalem and institute the sacrificial system and move us in the anti, the Christ, the Messiah is going to come and lead us into a thousand years of peace. So that's what it, well that's what it, this is what it's all about. Because before, before Trump was, uh, before Trump was placed into office, all of these evangelical leaders met with him. If I had known that before, I could have told you ahead of time that Trump was going to win over Hillary. Because they were moving and shaking. And his move in moving the embassy to Jerusalem was a promise that he gave them. I believe that. Folks, this is not a political thing. This is a religious thing that's going on. We're talking about unity here. The plea for unity. There is a plea today for unity, but for the wrong cause. Now see, if we talk about unity, we must also talk about separation. Because the Bible talks about that there is a time and place for unity and God's people, we need to be unified. If there ever was a time that you and I need to come together it is today, and we need to put away this petty stuff that goes on in our homes, in our churches, and we need to come together. Amen, somebody. This morning, the Bible talks about, yes, we ought to be unified, but we also ought to talk about separation because there is, again, there is a legitimate time that we need to separate. Notice what the Bible says in John chapter 17, 
And verse 21. And young people, young people, you got your little papers here? Write down on your paper, unity. That's what the pastor's talking about today. Unity. Being one. Beyond one accord. That's what the pastor's talking about today. John chapter 17 and verse 21. Notice what the Bible says. That they all may be, what everybody? One. That was the plea of Jesus. Jesus' concern was that before he left, he wanted to make sure that the disciples, after he left, that they would stay unified. They would stay together. And so he prayed this awesome prayer in John chapter 17. But the Bible also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, there's where we want to start. It says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? So the Bible is very clear that you and I, there is a legitimate separation, divide. Catch you didn't get it. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus even is more specific. He says, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth. Wait a minute. Isn't it what the angels sang when Jesus was born? Peace on earth and goodwill to men. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Don't you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? But notice what he says. I tell you, no, I have come to bring division. So there is a time that we need to separate. There is a time when disunity is necessary. And it comes when there is a decision that we have to make. Either is God or else something else. If it comes down to that, then we got to say God separate or no separate. Are y'all with me? Amen. The word of God is very true. It's, it's, it's true. That unity is important. But separation, there is a time and place for it. Now let's get a little closer now, closer home. Because we need to have this discussion in conferences. In our churches. We need to talk about being united. Because separation hinders and pulls down the progress of the church. So we're haggling over women's ordination. We're haggling over what happened in our election. But we need to talk about unity and pulling together because we don't have time to be fighting about what color the carpet of the church is. We don't have time to be haggling about whether we should have vegan or vegetarian food. Oh, y'all didn't think I knew about that, did you?
Now let me bring it a little closer. We need to have this discussion about unity because we, there's too many husbands and wives. Parents and children. Christian parents and children. At home. Divided. Fighting and fussing and cussing at home. Christian folks. Children running away because they can't get along and they cannot speak to their parents. Husbands in the doghouse. Y'all know what the doghouse is. Don't act like y'all don't know what it is. We need to talk about unity. Turn with me in the word of God. In Ephesians chapter 4. Paul shifts gears now. This is what we're studying. This is our series. Paul shifts gears in the word of God from from helping us understand uh, who we are and whose we are from a theological standpoint, from the standpoint of God, and now he be begins to move into how in the world do we practice it in our everyday life. There's where many Christians stumble. They read the word of God, but they don't know how to put it and act it out in life. Well, God helps us. And in this verse here, God is going to help us here on how we ought to live out this life that God is calling us to, this calling every single day. On our jobs, at home, school, at work. I said that, didn't I? How do we do it? Well, this is what he says. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, therefore points us back to chapters 1 to 3. I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you that you walk, what everybody? That you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling which you have been called. In other words, your living ought to be in accordance to the high calling of God, your profession. If you're a Christian, your walk, your life should look like a Christian. People should know that you are a Christian. Amen, somebody. We get somewhere, y'all hold on. And so in verse 2, begins to talk about practical ways in which you and I can carry out this calling on our lives. He says, with all, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. I thought it very strange for Paul, the word of God, to start there in leading you and I to and how to live out a practical life. 
Why would he start out with, with humility? Because humility is the core. Why would he start talking about unity? Because that is the core. And he wants to nail down the importance of this. The very first thing he says. He talks about a disposition. He says, with, this is how you, ought, you and I ought to live. We ought to live with all lowliness and meekness. In other words, he's simply saying, listen, we ought to be humble. Given the calling in which we are called and how we have been called, we ought to be humble. Now, the word lowliness simply means that you're humble in mind. All right? And uh, in it says also meekness. That's talking about carrying out that humility in your life. So you're humble in mind. And because you're humble in the mindset, in the spirit, in your attitude, it is carried out in your life. Amen, somebody. You see, when you're humble, that, that word simply means that you are considerate of other people. You're concerned about the welfare of other people. And you are willing to forego your rights for the rights of other people. That's what it means to be humble. Amen. Um, you can look humble, but not necessarily humble. You see, both of them go together. You have to have a humble mind to really have genuine humility. So what Paul is doing is, Paul is walking us down and helping us understand that first of all, in order for unity to occur, there must be the correct mindset, the correct attitude, the correct disposition. And the first thing he says is that we have to have a humble spirit. He strikes at the very core and the very heart of our problem. The heart of our problem when it comes down to unity is pride and arrogance. We think that we are all that. Because we got a fine suit, and because we got a nice car, and because we got a nice home, and because we all pretty and so forth, we think that we are all that. In fact, that's what the Bible says, that the Laodiceans church think that we are increased with good and have need of nothing, that we have arrived, we got the truth, we know how to eat, we know what day to worship on, we know how to dress, we got it going on, but really we don't got it going on. Yeah, we'll preach it today. He strikes at the very core. And that was the problem of Lucifer. Lucifer got proud and arrogant. He started looking at himself in the mirror and did not realize that what he had was because of God. And what you and I have is not because of who we are, it's because of who God is. Amen, somebody. And so if anything ought to humble you is the fact that you know who you are. You know how you got what you got. It was because of God. 
Amen, somebody. You know what I realized? I realized I got my doctor degree. But you know what? It's the only way I got it was because of God. Amen. Amen. So I give God praise for it. And to do it in pride and arrogance is foolishness. So humility is a disposition that you and I must have in order for unity to occur in the church and in our homes. Some of us are having problems in our home is because there's too much pride. I ain't listening to him. Amen. Y'all better say amen real loud. Amen. 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 Well, Satan's greatest weapons in the church and in our homes is the weapon of dividing us. Yes. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve wandered off and he knew that she was at her weakest point, both of them. And so now is the time to strike. And Satan does the very same thing today. He seeks to divide us because he knows that if he can divide us on stupidness, he knows a city cannot stand when it is divided. He knows that a home, when a mother and father, when a husband and wife is divided on things, when they don't, when they don't agree on things, he knows that he can strike. Destroy homes. But Paul says, God says, listen, the first thing that we need to get under our belts, the first attitude that we have to have is we gotta be humble. Then he goes on to say, he says, he says, with long suffering. That means being patient. Now it's not being patient when everything is hunky dory. Y'all know what hungry door is. Yeah. When everything's going well, when the sun is shining, and, 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 and when the temperature is right, when you have all the food in your cupboard and so forth, and everybody's talking nice. No, he's not talking about anybody can be patient when that's going on, but he's talking about a person that has patience when somebody is pushing your buttons. When somebody is irritating you. Y'all know Christians do get irritated. Amen. The pastor gets irritated sometimes. But, but here it is. It is the disposition that we need that when somebody is pushing our buttons, we are patient. say it again just in case you didn't get it. We are all messed up. We are crazy. 
up here. The problem is with the mind, ladies and gentlemen. The problem is up here. And that's why the Bible says that I have come to renew their mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your, what everybody? By, of your mind. This is where God is working. He's working on the mind because sin has fragmented and messed us up. And God is working through his Holy Spirit to bring things back together and, and in line and delete stuff that's been housed up here. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all young people, y'all know computers. You see, when, when we were born, we were defaulted. Defaulted to do that which is wrong. But God is doing a miracle in my life. But I know that God is doing a miracle in your life. That's why you're here today. The Bible goes on. I got to hurry up on this. This, whew, this is more than I thought. He said, forbearing one another in love. The word forbearing simply means to put up with folks. To put up with them. Because I know, listen, I know you got a problem. And I got a problem too. <laughs> Amen. So we, we put up with one another. I know how you are. Listen, I know how my wife is. She all messed up. <laughs> understand one another and we put up with one another and we ask for the grace of God to mold us and weed stuff up out of our lives and so that's why we've been together for 36 years. Long-suffering, patience, 
kindness? It's right here. So there it is. In order for us to have unity in the church, we have to have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say this right. In order to walk worthy of the calling, we have to walk in the Spirit. That's what Paul talks about reading Galatians. When you get on reading. There's a difference between walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. In order to walk in accordance with our high calling, we must walk in the Spirit. But one cannot walk in the Spirit unless they are born of the Spirit. So, let, let me just break it down to you. If we're not born of the Spirit, we cannot walk in the Spirit, and then we cannot promote unity in the church. The reason why there is so much disunity in the church and in our homes and in our lives between our relationships is because there are many people in the church, in our homes, who are not converted. They're not walking in the spirit. In other words, they're not living in the spirit. When you are living in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will bubble up in your life and develop in your life when you're walking and living in the Spirit. Right? That's what the Bible is talking about here. When we're walking in the flesh, you look in Galatians chapter 5, it gives the manifestation of those who are walking in the flesh according to the desires of their lusts, what they want. it got to be my way or the highway. And one of them is division. When people in the church and in our homes, most of the time, the culprit is because they're walking in the flesh. And not according to the dictates of the Holy Spirit. So if we want unity, we got to be born again. And then some of the stuff that we see in the church will not happen. Some of the arguments that take place will not happen if we're born again. Some of the craziness that's going in our homes that nobody knows about but you and the children and God. Some of that will stop in our homes if we would just come to Jesus and ask him to transform our lives. Some of the stuff that we're haggling over and complaining about is nothing. Little stuff. I don't like how you close that door. <laughs> so Paul begins to give a foundation by which unity can occur in our homes and in our churches and in our lives. Because some people are just fragmented in their lives. 
They over here one day, the next minute they over there. They with, with, they, they, they with that dude over there, and then they with that dude over there next month. You with that honey today, and you with that honey over there on next week. Now, I'm not talking about honey that's in a jar. Fragmented. Fragmented life. Disunity. So in verse 4 through 6, Paul begins to share with us the very foundation by which unity can occur. He says there's one body, there is one spirit, there's, only, there's one spirit, there's one body, which is the church, with one hope, one Lord, that's Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God. So the very foundation in which God has placed upon the church and the Christian home is a firm foundation of oneness, of unity. That's what he's trying to say. So that unity can occur because we got a strong foundation in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Now, you will notice as we go along in verse 13, we're going to get there, where Paul gives a focal point where he says one faith. One faith. Now, he's talking about faith in God and the faith of God. All right, they're different. Belief, that's Faith in God. The faith of God is the same thing that Christ believed when he was on earth. That he focuses on as we look at verse 13 and we're going to get there. But Paul also says that in verse 7, he says, listen, he says, but unto every one of us, in other words, every single believer is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. That's, if, if you ought to shout on something, that's what you ought to shout on right now. God has given us grace according to the same measure as he has given the grace in the gift of Christ. Let, let me just help you understand the grace that he's talking about is those spiritual gifts that God has given to believers. When you have accept, when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, what God does is he gives you grace. He gives you grace in the, 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 the spiritual gift that he gives to you. Are you with me? Paul is saying that we have been graced twice. We have been graced by the gift of Jesus Christ so that you and I can experience salvation. But the Bible also says that God has given us another grace that is equal to the grace that he gave when he gave Jesus. And that is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen, somebody. Listen, it wasn't because you were pretty, not because you were birthed in the right family. It wasn't because you had money. It wasn't because you are handsome or because you came to the Lord at a young age that you received the gift that God has given to you. But the gift that you have is because of God's goodness on your life. Oh, y'all didn't get that. 
The gifts that you have or gift that you have is because the grace of God. And so he gives these gifts to the church that you and I, unity might occur in the church. So he lists some of them. And you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You have some of them there too. But here's the ones that he lists in Ephesians. He says, and he gave some apostles and some, what else everybody? Are y'all with me? We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. And he gave some apostles and he gave some, what else everybody? Prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so he gives these gifts and the purpose that he gives them is found in verse 12. He says, for the perfecting of the saints, that is the building up to make the saints of God strong. Amen. For the working of, for the working of ministry, so that, that is so that the church can go out and do ministry and serve those in the community and serve one another. So he has given these gifts to you and I who do not deserve them. Then he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That simply means to build up. To build us up. Thank God. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for him thinking about you and I. Thank God for the gifts of the church, the pastors and the elders and the teachers. Thank God for them. Thank God for the nurses and doctors in the church. These are graces that God has given to the church that the church might be strong and healthy. God has given the, these gifts to the church. Verse 13 tells us that till we come in the unity of the faith. These gifts will be in the church to promote unity until Jesus comes. Amen. Now touch your neighbor. Y'all thought I was preaching. I'm going to start preaching now. Oh, that is it. That's the focal point in which Paul talks about faith. Because this is the rallying point that should bring unity to the church. Is faith in Christ and the faith of Christ. So God has given these gifts into the church and given a strong foundation and said that and, and made it possible for us to have the right disposition so that we might have unity in our churches and in our homes. Because the goal, ladies and gentlemen, the ultimate goal is that we, when Jesus comes, we would be unified. We would have the same trust in God and have believed the same things that Jesus believed. That's the ultimate goal. But there's an everyday goal that God is trying to bring us to. And I want you to see it as I move to a conclusion. Are you all with me now? All right. Notice what the Bible says. He says in verse 14. That we henceforth be no more, what everybody? That we be no more children.
by every wind of what everybody? Doctrine. That we be no more children. You see, disunity and discord in the church and in our homes ultimately is a result of immaturity. I know I'm talking some hard stuff today. Y'all ain't shouting today. Y'all were shouting last week. <laughs> it's immaturity. And see, Satan knows that if he gets a bunch of immature Christians, immature husbands and wives together, he can cause disruption and discord and disunity in the church. Oh, I know it. Yo, I think you might need to play something. Go ahead and play something because I need you need to help them. <laughs> he knows that. And so Paul paints the picture of a little boat. He says, um, that henceforth you be not no more children immature because Satan takes advantage of immature Christians. And ladies and gentlemen, let me say this, that Satan takes advantage of immature women and girls and boys. Mm -hmm. We're like little boats sometimes tossed to and fro in a storm. That's what he's trying to paint. He's saying, listen, in your everyday life, you don't have to be like that anymore. You don't have to be over there one day and over here another day. With this dude one day and this dude over here the other day. You don't have to be with this chick over here and this one over there. You don't have to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and what people are saying. You don't have to be like that anymore. You see, there's a whole lot of guys, go ahead and play something. There's a whole lot of guys saying, ladies, listen to me. Listen, there's a whole lot of guys, they preaching, boy. And I ain't preaching the gospel, too. They're talking about, honey, you look good. Did anybody ever tell you that? You look good. They're preaching their doctrine. There's women that's preaching their doctrine. They may not say nothing, but they bat them eye real tough. <laughs> and, they're, they're, and they got their dress up high and they got cleavage and they're preaching their doctrine because there's a whole bunch of immature men out there that if they see her, they're going to go after her. And the Bible lets us know a woman like that will lead you to death. Amen. A man like that will lead you to death. There's too much immaturity in the church and, and in our homes. And, but God has provided the remedy where which, we, where which we can be mature men and women of God. It's right here. This is it. It will, even though you're young, it will help you to be mature and think maturely and make right decisions. If you're proud, God has a way. I need that mic. If you're proud, if you got issues in your life, you know, there are some people, they just love controversy. They like, they like it. They like divide. Let's get it on. Yeah, you want to get it? Let's get it on. They, they thrive on that. They just turn it on. They can't help it. It's in their DNA. That's all they saw in their 
proud. I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. Y'all look good today. Y'all look real good in the presence of God. But you know what I realized? There's a lot of brokenness in our lives. There's a lot of people pretending. They got masks on, they come to church. Come to church, some of y'all are here. And God has given me the message to talk to you that yes, there is some brokenness in your life. You've been playing and acting like, oh, you good. No, you're not good. But God is saying, listen, you don't have to live a fragmented life anymore. You don't have to be on the river and on the bank anymore, in and out of the church. You don't have to be like that anymore. But you've got to come to God if there's going to be a change in your life. Because what God will do is he'll take that fragmented mind, that fragmented life, that this, this, this unity and uncertainty in your life, God will do something wonderful in your life. Now here's what I want to do. I want you to stand to your feet. Everybody, I want you to stand to your feet. Now church, you ought to be praying. You ought to be praying now because there is a battle going on right now. And there's somebody in this room today in the house of God that is broken inside. They're in a lot of pain. And nobody knows it. I'm talking to you today. Maybe in the balcony. I don't know. Your brokenness can be over today. God can put you in the process of healing in your life. I'm wondering today, will somebody raise their hand and say, Lord, I am broken inside. My life is so fragmented. And today I need some healing. I need some real healing in my life. I didn't ask for it. I got it from my parents. It was in my DNA. And I tried to be a better person, but it's not working. And today you want to say, Lord, I need you to come into my life. Today I surrender. I'm tired of trying on my own. And I want to give my life to you today. Is there somebody? Raise your hand again. I want to see your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Now here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to step out on faith. While you're stepping closer to the altar, you're saying, Lord, I believe you. I believe what you're going to do in my life. I want you to come. Don't be shy. Come. Come to the altar because I'm going to pray, pray a very special prayer over you today. It doesn't matter whether you came last week. It's okay. It's all right. You're coming back. You know when we're sick, we go back to the hospital and say, look, say, I need some help. Just come. Just come. Because God is able. He's above able. Go ahead. 
Oh 